Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic indie creator interview. It is your Caped Crusader, Cody, and we are keeping it geekly with our brand new friend, Chris of Behemoth Comics. How are you doing? Welcome to the stream tonight, man. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a chance and you know to read the first issue of this. Thank you so much for sending me the PDF. I really appreciate it. And this was just so good. I loved just how you were able to craft the characters in it, the exposition, and just like the world building. I'm so excited to dive into that. But first and foremost, let's break down who you are. Uh, my name is Chris Kipiniak. I'm a um, comic book writer. I've been at it for quite a while. I did my first Marvel book a while ago, actually at the turn of the century. I did a Nightcrawler limited series uh, in 2001, uh, which I was, I'm still very proud of. Uh, then I did a few issues of uh, Marvel Adventures Spider-Man, which was an all-ages book uh, that they did, um, as well as a short story that was in uh, Amazing Fantasy, back when that was an anthology, again, in the uh, uh, mid-2000s. Um, I've also written, uh, you know, independent stuff, but besides Behemoth, I've had a few short, uh, short things that I've done on my own. Um, and I've also written for other media. I write for a fiction podcast called The Truth. I've done a few episodes of that. And I'm actually uh, currently a law student as well. Uh, wow, you have yeah. a, such an interesting backstory. How did you end up writing for Marvel? Did you was that something you did right off the rip, or did you have prior comic experience? You know, I had a little bit of experience, only in as much as when I was in college, I um, applied for an internship, and I ended up going out to Malibu Comics, which mm -hmm. back then, again, I don't know how many of the listeners uh, remember, but it ended up course, right? Well, not so much that, but they got uh, bought up by Marvel. Okay. Uh, and became Marvel West for a while. And all of those characters end up getting subsumed. Uh, and I think they did try to do some crossovers and stuff, but but for the most part, those characters are now gone. But the Malibu universe, uh, I think the most famous one was something called Prime, which was sort of like a darker version of Shazam in the sense you know, that it was a little kid. Yeah. Did you work with, uh, was it Ron Randall? No. I could I could have sworn he said something about uh working uh with, with with them too in their earlier stages and then going to Dark Horse. I think that's that's where I got the the mix up with it. I cuz he I I remember the Malibu comics uh, yeah. from from our interview. So uh, I was curious about that. Um yeah, well it was, you know, w when I was in college it was, you know, I applied to a bunch of places but this was mm -hmm. the uh, only one that sort of was interested in having me. I ended up working out there for um for a summer and it was the best summer of my life. I was surrounded by comics all the time. That's so and cool. um yeah, and then after that, um, you know, I'm an I'm an actor as well. I think I left that out of the um, of my little bio. <laughs> no big deal, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just Broadway actor. It's not a big deal. Um, but no, but I was I'm an actor, and when I moved to New York, I had been living in Chicago doing shows, and then did a show that actually had some success and was on tour, and then decided to move to New York. I'm from this area. My family's in the area, and also it's New York, so I figured I'd move. And when I got here. Um, I had a play that I had written. And so I decided to put it up myself in the same way that you do like an indie comic. Mm -hmm. I decided to do an independent play. And at that time, there were not a lot of people, there was not a lot of overlap between theater and comics. So I kind of figured like this would be kind of my niche. So I sent a lot of uh, invitations to the show to every editor at Marvel and DC, because at the time, both of them were in New York and did end up getting a bite and, uh, and, uh, editor for Marvel came, saw the play and introduced himself afterwards. And I remember saying, you know, jokingly, but uh, he was like, well, you seem like a very talented guy. I don't know why you want to waste your time in a third rate medium, but uh, why don't you come? <laughs> like, yeah, he was kidding about it, but it was, yeah. uh, he was like, I have no idea why, like, because for him, he was like, this is theater. This is like classy and different. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, I, I love comics. And like, and I, you know, never looked down on it as a, as a medium or anything like that. So. Uh, he called me in. He was the editor for the X books at the time. And this was just after um, Joe Casada became editor in chief. And uh, I came and was given a, the Nightcrawler gig. This, Holy uh, crap. That is so a, awesome. It was, it was a, it's funny. Like you don't realize just how wonderful or magical a time it was or how, mm -hmm. uh, how kind of lucky you are. Or lucky Until the I moment's was. gone. I get it. Until the moment's gone. I mean, you know, again, I appreciated it, enjoyed it, but, um, but it's still like, I didn't realize like, wow, that was really kind of, um, it was very lucky that they happened to be looking for new people at the time that, like I said, that um, 
it was different enough, you know, because nobody else was inviting people to come see plays. They might be sending scripts and pitches and stuff. But this was just different enough that it made an impression on uh, on this editor. So what do you think? Uh, then, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But what do you think uh, the biggest parts of the play was that like drew the, uh, drew him, like his interest and everything? What do you think was uh, the part that sold him over the most? You know, I think the the biggest thing was, I think, expressing some interest in it, you know, and expressing some interest in showing that I was not somebody who just read comics, you know, that, um, again, I, I don't know what it's like to be a comic book editor, and I'm sure it's very different now than it was, mm -hmm. you know, that mid 20 plus years ago. Um, but I think at the time, like I said, there really was comics that seemed to be sort of its own particular thing. And yet there was still some, this is after the, the 90s and while Vertigo was still sort of at its height in the sense that I think there was a desire for people with a different aesthetic and a different um, point of view than just people who had read and had interests other than comics. And so at this time, this is already a couple years after Grant Morrison's Justice League, for example. And I think that is that and the other things around that time, like the authority and um, planetary kind of changed in some ways and gave it sort of a um, gave comics a sort of movie blockbuster mm -hmm. kind of feel. And I think perhaps he was, they were just like, oh, this is, you know, it was a theatrical feel in the sense that, you know, these were, it was a, you know, it's, I loved the play. I love everything I write and I'm not <laughs> going to slag it off, but, you know, it was a young person thing with a lot of like deep emotions, very you yelled and stuff like that. Um, but I think that there was part of that that was appealing because it was, the emotion was sincere. There is something similar to comics and theater in the sense of, you know, there's a theatricality to it, the comics, you know, there's so much of it is about the look, about the costumes, about the drama that's mm -hmm. created in the, the layouts and stuff that actually I think it's a more. And I think since then, there have been a lot of people that have come from theater um, and worked in comics. Um, but I think that might be what he was responding to, thinking that, that there was just like I said, that interest, but a, a little bit different than most of the stuff he was seeing. And, you know, they wanted to get some new voices in to change things up because this was just after a big change in editorial regime and then lastly and i think particularly why he thought nightcrawler would be a um would be a good fit was because like i said this was i think theater the kind of uh, emotional things that that the characters were going through i think was the kind of thing that he thought would jive well with the character who's been i think arguably the spiritual center of the x-men yeah, yeah. No. So this so that's I think what what he was probably responding to. That's um, so cool, so. Uh, oh, yeah. And then you worked on Spider-Man too? And then I got to do Yeah, you know, that was um you know, an editor uh when I had been at Malibu, an editor that I'd worked with Mark Paniccia, he ended up at Marvel. And I had gotten in touch with him around the time that he uh got to Marvel, and he first offered me um an eight-page story in Amazing Fantasy where I wrote a story that I'm very proud of about the character Paladin. You know, I don't know if you know, it's sort of a mercenary character. Okay. I think started out as a Daredevil supporting character, but he's uh, shown up in a lot of Spider-Man things. He was in uh, Heroes for Hire. Sort of a spy story. But yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but then he was doing the All Ages line and and offered me a few issues of this uh, Marvel Adventures Spider-Man. Um, That's so awesome. Which was, you know... It, Again, it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, it was it was freaking awesome. And I think at the time I loved it, and I think I did a good job. I'm very proud of those issues. Mm -hmm. They were very different than the Nightcrawler things because with Nightcrawler, I was very conscious of wanting to, like I said, partially because of my theatrical background, uh, you know, be kind of deep and open-hearted and emotional in a way. But these Spider-Man books specifically, because they were all ages, one and dones, um, could be silly and fun. It and, sounds like uh, you could have a lot more fun with them. Absolutely. And so it was nice to be able to do sort of both of those sides sides because I think I'm I think I'm hilarious. And uh, so I think my <laughs> issues were, were hilarious, too. Um, so I was very, very happy to get a chance to do it. And again, because I always like characters that are a little bit more off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. um, so in some ways, Spider-Man was just like, cool. Like, but I kind of didn't realize like just how fun it would be to write somebody so recognizable so not just recognizable but like beloved and classical and uh and to be able to do it in a again in an all ages fun way uh was was really great that's so cool we have uh, oblivia over on uh twitch saying oh this cover looks cool and that nerd 
uh, saying, hey, yeah, welcome to the stream, guys. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> so I, I got to ask, before before we move on, I, I have to ask, uh, which was harder for you, writing Nightcrawler or writing something that was all ages, kind of being trying to be more, you know, inclusive to, to kids as well? Was that, was that a, a challenge for you? You know, no, I did not feel that it was a challenge. Like I got a, I have a potty mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that would be the hardest part. But no, I, I truly, this is one of those things, like I think I'd mentioned before, I've written for a lot of media. I've written for theater, film, television, podcasts, nonfiction. Um, right now I'm actually, my day job is sort of journalism covering um, New York City land use stuff. And there's something, I, I mention all of that because there is there are certain things where a story is always a story, no matter the medium that you're telling it in. Certainly you take advantage of certain things. For example, a, a podcast is totally sound. Yeah, and yeah. so certain things will be told better. But but you're always trying to create a situation that 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 the audience will become interested in and stay with you and, and have something that draws them along. There has to be some I know this has somewhat fallen out of favor um, recently, but there has to be some kind of conflict or some kind of um, resistance mm -hmm. uh, against that in order to create a certain amount of drama. And it sort of doesn't... Kids are smart. Kids are smarter than they're often given credit for. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I specifically did not want to like write, talk down to them. Mm -hmm. Yes, some of the, the jokes and stuff were, one might say, are a little bit less, you know, they're not... Uh, there, there might be a little bit less sophisticated in, in a certain sense, but they're also like, I don't know, like there's the expression of like, you know, dad jokes, like no matter how old you are, people like do enjoy like puns and just being goofy in general. So for me, there was no, it didn't feel like writing down or talking down to kids. And, and I remember being a kid and I really didn't like, and I think this is part of why I liked comic books because they didn't feel like they were patronizing in the same way that I found like books written for kids often were and i found i thought they often were and that i thought that they were a little bit preachy and mm -hmm. patronizing and i just made a point of not doing that um and i hope it turned out well again you know somebody else might might disagree but i, I didn't find it difficult at all because because i think the most important thing whatever the medium you're writing in is to respect your audience mm -hmm. and to trust that they're as smart as you are that they're gonna be interested in that they'll pick up what you put down if it, you know if you do a good job of it you know they, they might not if you don't if it doesn't make sense if it's unclear um but yeah but no i didn't find that that hard at all um or at least not for that reason you know it was hard in the sense of um a one and done story can be uh all, all you know depending on the the size of the story you do the constraints can make it difficult um but oh, no, yeah. but no, it's, it's, it's a fun character. It's an established character that I know and love. And he's got such a great rogues gallery of so many different villains to choose from. <laughs> All of that just made it easy to, to come up with story ideas. Just so which was, uh, which was your favorite to, uh, to write, uh, villain wise? Villain wise. I think, uh, I think swarm, okay. uh, just cause I think he's such a, just such an out there, um, concept, uh, you know, of a character, you know, he's, He's a corpse of a Nazi scientist, but I guess by now it's probably a little <laughs> bit late for that. But a corpse of like a crazy uh, madman who's animated by bugs. Like, I just, I just think that's such like a strange, uh, such a strange concept that I that I just loved it and loved loved playing around with that. I also loved my issue, you know, with I mean I was about to say I love loved all of them, but like, <laughs> but like then getting to write the Green Goblin uh, was also a lot of fun. Um, just because, again, that's a character that has so much uh, uh, history and is so inextricably linked with Spider-Man um, that it was that it was great. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's funny you mentioned. Uh, I, I read some study that says uh, letting kids read co uh, comic books like increases the vo their vocabulary by so many words compared to reading regular books. I don't know what the number is, but it's out there. It's a scientific study. Uh, and another thing is my son's favorite character from uh, what is it, the uh, Amazing Spidey and Friends uh, on uh, Disney Plus yeah. is Green yeah, Goblin. Sure. He, I remember Disney. Uh, we went to Walmart to get the little toys, and uh, he cried when he didn't get Green Goblin. So we had to go back and get another one. It was like a mystery <laughs> open one. 
So I love it. But hey, I, I we can save all that for a whole other podcast. I feel like I could just ask questions after questions. Let's transition to the real juice while we're here. And yes. this one's a really interesting one because like you went from like an all ages story to like make putting these kids in such horrible situations. How did how did that happen? You know, um, yeah, I, I have to admit, like, uh, I'm a 90s guy, like, th- like, so my aesthetic has always been like, horrible things happen and everybody's sad and brooding and it's always raining. Like, that's just, that's sort of always where I, where I want to, to, to be. So, um, you know, the idea for Behemoth had come from I had a chance once to talk with a Vertigo editor. Mm-hmm. You know, this is towards the end of its cycle, you know, but, um, and I, let me back up, you know, there there are a lot of, um, you know, Vertigo used to do in its earliest days, a lot of like reimaginings of old concepts and sort of giving them a postmodern um, reimagining, you know, yeah. and sort of updating them and, and giving it sort of an adult spin. And I loved those kinds of books. I think like, Animal Man, Doom Patrol, um, are you know to me there's still like the sh- well the shadow I guess was, but the shadow to a certain extent just sort of reimagining something from old and uh, giving it another look. I love that, and so I as a kid had all the who's who's, and so I remember reading through them and I'd always be fascinated by characters that I'd never heard of, mm-hmm. and there was one which I thought was the strangest concept, which was the Creature Commandos which is um, an old DC war property from the 70s about, it was a World War II book. And it was about these soldiers that got surgically changed to look like movie monsters, like a Frankenstein, a Dracula, (laughs) and a Wolfman, because they figured that would scare the Nazis. And they would be so freaked out that they would, that the creature commandos would overrun them. And I just thought this was such like a weird concept and I loved it. Um, But then when trying to as a young writer and trying to get in with vertigo which was the place that i, that I wanted to be because that's really like i said where my aesthetic was i was trying to think of like strange concepts that that would a modern reimagining would lead to something and so the idea of the creature commandos stuck in my mind and i thought like what if they were real creatures as mm-hmm. opposed to people that had been changed and and what it would be like to be like a monster treated kind of like a human and there's something in you know i don't want to um editorialize too much but you know uh, being a soldier being in the armed forces there's something that is potentially uh that can you're you're being asked to kill potentially you're also being asked to put your life on the line and so there's something about about one's humanity that gets a little bit tested and so I thought the idea of, again, somebody who's a monster, actual monsters being put in that position, I thought that there was something interesting there. This, um, I did get a chance to talk to the editor, he sort of was not as impressed with it as I, I thought. <laughs> then, <laughs> then a couple of years later, I thought about, I kept thinking about the concept, again, of these sort of monster soldiers mm-hmm. that were treated like, treated like <sighs> animals. Um, and so I refined it and refined it, and that's what ended up becoming Behemoth. Um, was again starting out with this idea of monsters being uh, used as disposable weapons um, and the toll that that would take on the the being the sentient being who's who's the one who's kind of being dehumanized and and put in those situations and so the, again the more I refined it the more the idea of being a monster being treated like a monster where the line between those things are. Mm-hmm. Like that became much more uh, interesting to me as I as I thought and developed it. Um, so yeah, so that's that's where that came from. Um, and so to this day, you know, they ended up putting out a Creature Commandos like trade paperback of the original war things. I remember reading it, and again, I still love it. I think it's still so strange. It's got great um, great art. It was written by J M Demetrius, if you know mm-hmm. that writer, who's one of my favorites. Um, and it's they're just fantastic war books. But this is again just a very different um a different thing which i wanted to again and also take advantage of the medium we talked a little bit about the medium before but you know this is a comics being both words and pictures i think you can do something with the subjective experience and here we have a person who's where we have her first person narrative as she is changing 
from a human and sort of losing her mind, becoming more bestial over time and turning into a monster. It's affecting her, her perceptions. So, yeah, I really, I really love the concept. Uh, the story, the story was really, really like riveting. I would almost say because you feel the emotions. I really liked how you did the lettering. Like, uh, I don't want to spoil too much. Uh, but uh, the the way you were kind of we were talking about it earlier, uh, the way the exposition was done uh, through letters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I really like that. You know, I know you said um, that original uh, story was your inspiration, but did was there anything else? I kind of picked up uh, District Nine vibes. I don't know if you've ever seen District Nine. I have, I have, <laughs> and I but, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but were you? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that movie. And actually, I was thinking actually just a couple days ago. I think probably in relation to the comic just thinking of that ending you know for the people watching who haven't seen district nine i don't want to spoil too much but there's like a a, a very sad ending image to it that mm -hmm. i that i found really uh really touching and the whole movie like it's not a, it doesn't seem like it's gonna be a touching movie it's like it's a really exciting sort of yeah uh, yeah cynical sci-fi thing but there does end up being this sort of like kernel of humanity to it and this heart to it that is that is very moving that's i hadn't thought of that but uh but yeah that's that's a great comparison so um, i often think about the fly and the, the dirty fly, dozen yeah, the fly was, yeah okay uh those are sort of the comps when i'm sort of uh describing to people i'll often say like it's the fly meets the dirty dozen no i yeah no i can definitely see that so you ended getting up uh on scout right uh they're a horror label a black uh, caravan how did that actually end up happening for you you know um my co-creator is um my co-creator is jk woodward who's an artist that uh people might know particularly from his idw star trek work uh he's really well known for doing like photorealistic stuff and so he's done uh a bunch of different star trek books and some gorgeous stuff like particularly if people are seeking out uh his uh his adaptation of uh harlan ellison's city on the edge of forever script uh is just amazing like the photorealistic stuff so he uh that's the artist that i'm that i'm working with we met uh through a mutual friend and we're sort of pitching trying to get each other interested in potential ideas of things to work on and this was one that we uh glommed onto and i mentioned all that because we did the we did the book a few years ago and um since then he's you know he's a working uh artist and does the con circuit and stuff and at one of the cons he was tabling next to uh joe schmalky who's uh who ha had recently started black caravan as a label within scout comics what so are scout, the odds you know, yeah 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 <laughs> um and you know and joe i think joe and jk really hit it off and so he was like, you know, if you've got something that you're interested in this sort of horror and sci-fi realm, you know, bring it to us and we'd love to publish it. And luckily we had this book uh, already finished. And, you know, for me, I could just sit and be doing my homework and JK get it all, uh, got it all taken care of. But that's, that's man, how we that got hooked so up. That's so awesome. That is, you're probably like, man, this artist paid off in like more ways than one. Let's go. Absolutely. <laughs> Besides the fact that his work is beautiful, just yes. The very fact that he, without my having to lift a finger, uh, got us the uh, the publishing deal. Yeah. So uh, you uh, that was right when they first started. You were were you one of the first issues on that label? Um, there, I mean there there have been a few, but I think it is still relatively new. You know, um, I think they started. I, don't quote me on this, but certainly I think within the past year, I think you know Scout Comics has been around. I think since 2015, 16 mm -hmm. or so. Um, but I think Black Caravan is a, a year or so old. Um, I don't think we were one of the first. Uh, they have, you know, I've been looking at the catalog and seen uh, a few other great, great comics. But, um, but, uh, but yeah. So I wouldn't want to say they, they were one of the first. They, I'd, they I'd know love Behemoth, to. though, right? They know be yes, that's right. <laughs> They're so, all good, but they second best. Let's let's kind of yeah. break things down a little bit of the protagonist, uh, if you can, without spoiling too much. Um, you know, what was uh, your your choice for going with uh, the design? You know, this type of infliction that she has you know if you can tell us maybe a little bit of what it is without spoiling a whole lot yeah um so the the this is a world where for some reason and um children are starting to turn into monsters and so our main character wakes up one morning with claws with these sort of um big claw sharp claws that with this sort of um 
plate-like, sort of rhinoceros-like mm-hmm. um, flat plates growing on her skin, mostly around her arms and um, and torso. <clears throat> and uh, so that's how it begins for her. And what she she is a very nice young, you know, fifteen-year-old kid mm-hmm. uh, in the suburbs who goes to sleep with one set of problems and wakes up with a different one. Um, so the the part of it for her is this fear of what am I becoming and not knowing what the end game will, excuse me, not the end game so much as not knowing what the end will be. Yeah. You know, is it just like, oh, these are my hands for the rest of my life? But as we find out, and it's not too much of a sport, you know, over the course of the first issue, then the second, third, and fourth issues, it's an ongoing transformation. And, um, you know, the I'm not the first to, uh, you know, the sort of puberty metaphor, the, but all life really, you know, all throughout, throughout all our lives. I mean, you're, we're both adults, but you keep changing, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it always yeah. happens. And sometimes that change is great. Sometimes you do, you change because you want to, but sometimes it's not, it's not something you want. It's just something that happens to you. And then it becomes how you how you allow that to define you, how you define that change, mm-hmm. and how much of your identity can stay becomes, uh, you know, get, sorry, that's getting a little bit thematic. But you'd ask sort of about the design. Like I said, you know, I wanted to start with this contrast of somebody who's um, small, small, a kid, you know, not particularly, but, you know, a, a child um, who then is getting big. And like that mismatch to me, I think, was... And there's something about the again the mismatch of the size between the size of her claws and and how rough they are with the rest of her mm-hmm. that I thought was again I, I wanted to to make it as uncomfortable as possible yeah. not that you know again not as uncomfortable as possible you know to put <laughs> in that position to sort of um, exaggerate those things and make it make everything sort of suck for her yeah 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 (laughs) and it does it does i think you really did a good job of that what was is she based off of any animal or insect in particular no um you know i had some i had a few ideas of things and design comps that i thought were interesting uh from both the natural world and also from comics uh like the design of a character that i've always just found really interesting it's pretty obscure, but I think it's just a cool, weird thing is um, there's a character in DC, there's a group called the Great Ten, which was which is this superhero group from China that um, I think were introduced in the in 52 mm-hmm. um, when that series was. And it's a cool concept, but their leader is this guy whose name is August, August General in Iron. And it's this man who's who's grown this sort of exoskeleton that he's like trapped in, and um, it looks kind of like stone, kind of like mm-hmm. steel, kind of like a shell. I don't I don't know quite what it is, and I don't know the character well enough. But I thought there was just something very cool about that. That um, that that was something that I wanted to that I thought was an interesting thing to start with, as well as. Um, in Kingdom Come, uh, if you know that series from the night yeah. again, from we're going way back. Um, but the blue beetle design in that. So yeah, there were certainly a lot of bug things because I I did want part of it to be um, that insensitive uh, uh, sort of somewhere between hide and shell growing mm-hmm. growing up and around her. Um, and then I tried to think of like things that I found kind of gross, um, like having. You know, Again, spoiler for as it goes on, she develops mandibles. Um, <laughs> You're like, let's her. ruin her life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it sucks. Uh, but then, you know, we have a whole bunch of other monsters. And uh, in the background, particularly that that JK, like, you know, he just designed all of them, all sorts mm-hmm. of weird stuff. Um, but yeah, so, so, so with our main character, Teresa, like I said, I, I wanted it to be that contrast between little girl then becomes big. Uh, insensitive, insensitive uh, thing, behemoth. Um, so that was that, those were the concepts there. So what do you, uh, what do, you, what would you like when a reader reads this for the first time for them to kind of feel after reading issue number one? Like, what are you hoping readers walk away feeling? I think intrigued, 
and entertained, you know, obviously one, you know, but, um, but as far as like more specifically what intrigues and entertains them is, is I think a little bit of pathos. Um, I think, I hope that there is, even though, you know, it's a four issue story and each chapter is its own, each chapter I hope has its own kind of arc within there. Mm-hmm. And what we see in the first issue, I hope, and again, you know, please, listeners or viewers, let me know if I did it right once you've read it. Um, <laughs> you know, here we have this person who wakes up with this problem. And then she, her reaction is fear. And we also have outside forces that are sort of telling her what she is and sort of defining her. And um putting her in a situation, she ends up being put into this sort of uh, internment camp for for other people who have, have this same issue. And, and then she has to figure out how to deal with it. And I think what, what I'm hoping that the, that the reader will come away with is an understanding of how, of being interested in like, oh, this is, I wanna know how this character is gonna be dealing with this in the future. Um, because hopefully they're interested in the way that she's overcome the obstacles that that have been shown to her, uh, rather that she's had to deal with up to that point. Um, I'm hoping that there's, again, that that's fueled by a certain amount of pathos because people can relate themselves to either time that they were, I don't know, I moved, you know, before second grade. And I remember yeah. very much being in a new school Yep, you know, yep. and again, it's it's not quite an internment camp for monsters, but on the other hand, it was still weird to to then be slotted into a new community. Um, you know, things things like that that I'm hoping that people um, can feel that and sort of understand her. And, and you know, you'd mentioned a couple times that there's it is the whole uh, story is done from the first person perspective, and I'm hoping that they feel experientially like what the character is going through um that's that's my hope no i i I think that is so awesome so before we dive into we're gonna actually we have a chance to look at the first couple of pages but before we do that what would you say you know writing having wrote for marvel having done uh plays and stuff what would you say the creative process from you know experiences you know working with that led into behemoth like what did your process look like you know what influences did you take from working on that other stuff compared to this one um, I think the biggest thing um, is, as I said before, that a story is a story is a story in the sense that, you know, there's got to be certain things like drive and yeah. conflict and stuff like that. And because I'm also an actor, when, you know, there's one thing, you know, you writing, you come at it from one direction, but from acting, you come at it in a different way. And ideally, the two sort of meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. As an actor, what you're looking for is what you're what you're you know it's it's almost like a joke and the kind of thing they make jokes about on tv stuff like that. but like when you ask like what's my motivation like anytime you're in a scene you're doing something whatever you're doing you're doing it for a reason yeah uh even if you're if you're delivering a pizza if you're picking up a <laughs> cup of coffee if you're if you're trying to blow up the world the fact is you you've got something that you want and there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing even if it's just sitting and waiting it's because you're waiting because you want something you know so for for me the writing process for the comic was to really understand the character and understand what she wants because it's a high concept book about this idea of kids turning into monsters being turned into disposable weapons and a high concept is great but in order to turn that into a story you have to have characters who are Mm -hmm. have desires have wants and they have to you know they have to fit within that uh, that high concept. So, so for me, for comics, they they it does work. It's still a character oriented. Um, it's still a character oriented medium with drama with people who are doing things. They're doing bigger things, you know. It's of a and they're drawn, but but it's it's still got to be the same. So coming up with the story was very much about that. Was following this idea of what does this character want, and then what. Uh, either prevents that or enables that how does that want to change because of what happens you know mm-hmm. character takes one action and it either goes the way they want or it doesn't and depending on how that goes it changes that character and maybe it changes what they want or maybe it changes the way that they get what they want 
but the fact is there's there's some change and that's that's how a, a sort of plot ends up getting getting made and then on top of that because and again I'm, I'm working with an artist i'm collaborating with an artist and i have a genius artist who's got a better visual sense than than i do um <laughs> but you know but i know that this is a medium where certain things look you know there are certain scenes that look dramatic and mm-hmm. you know and you want to build to that and as a comic book reader i love splash pages or a double page spread or something like that you know the the layout and the rhythm of a, of a page to me is so exciting that that also affects like you know when you come to a point you could choose one thing to happen or another um you choose the one that's gonna look coolest on the page absolutely um, it, it sounds like you have this down to a science i mean you just the different mediums you've been a part of acting you know writing comics you know writing plays like it just seems like you have this down to to like a dot it, it is really impressive to listen to well thank you it sounds it sounds impressive but uh when it comes down to doing it uh, it can be a lot harder because i'll tell you man it's always like i don't know how often you you know obviously you're in this you're in the business and you read comics and stuff mm-hmm. i don't know how often you've read a, somebody else's script or if like a friend's like hey you know i've got i'm working on this story what do you think of this like and i don't know how often you've done that i always find i'm brilliant when when talking about somebody else's script or story mm-hmm. i was like this is what you should do and this is why this works <laughs> or but when it comes to my own i can't see it necessarily you know mm-hmm. what i mean because you it becomes harder to all because i think all the things that i've said are right to some greater or lesser extent you know all those things are true but when you're evaluating your story sometimes you're so into it and you have your own kind of biases or or tastes things that you like and it's like eh, maybe this isn't really start questioning yourself kind of yeah so um that's a, one of the reasons that again why, one of the reasons why both uh why comics and any collaborative medium is so exciting is because you got somebody else to bounce ideas mm-hmm. off of and to get their point of view and and when the two come together and when you agree on something it can be you know much better than than just one person's point of view um so i mean i appreciate you saying that and uh, you know there are a lot of people who think it's a science and it is to a certain extent but of course what makes a comic good or any kind of story or any kind of writing good is the quirk and idiosync uh, idiosyncrasies of the particular creator you know that's why uh, i know ai is sort of a thing now and i don't know if you see on twitter you know people have these ai producing art oh yeah 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 the the like the funky images and stuff yeah and yeah, like it's all weird, over <laughs> all over the place and it's weird but it's but it's not quite the same thing as if somebody tried to draw it or render it themselves mm-hmm. because there's something you know different about being human sorry i'm just realizing uh how sweaty i'm getting in my <laughs> this interview is just getting too hot i get it i get that's, it. it yeah that's right the book is even hotter folks yeah and speaking of that <laughs> Let's uh, let's fan the flames. Let's go ahead and check out the first couple of pages. So let's go ahead. Let's uh, what, what are we looking at with this cover? I mean, we're seeing a lot of things happening. Can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of what we're looking at? This cover, the, I remember talking to to James about the cover uh, when we first started it, and there were definitely a few comps of things. Uh, like there was a cover from. Um, Alex Ross did this book, Justice, that there was something where the sort of backlighting of, I think, the Riddler or something like that, I just thought was kind of cool. And so that was something that I, I thought the idea of having our main character sort of in the center and things coming at her and engulfing her from the dark uh, was kind of cool. I don't remember exactly how I described it to him, but but just this idea of of, of her being consumed taken that there's something that's Mm -hmm. going to draw her in um you know you see it's not just one particular kind of monster that's grabbing her you have you know a claw a talon uh a a tentacle and um i don't know if you what you'd call the sort of bug-like thing at the top right um oh right here no the opposite like uh yeah that yeah um it looks like a a reptile claw almost like a a claw maybe that's that's best word for it um, so yeah, so that was that was the concept, that was the idea. Because again, like I said, this is about somebody who, you know, I know I've said that the book is about a bunch of different things, and and it is all of those. But you know, <laughs> like to me, thematically, it's very much about identity. It's about a person who is trying to retain her humanity 
when the world is trying to thrust or let's say outside circumstances are trying to put an identity on her and she is trying to retain her own identity and so this i thought was kind of again a dramatic way to show that of here's this person in the middle but there's these outside forces mm -hmm. and they're they're all different you know it's not like as i was saying before not just one monster there are a bunch of different kinds of monsters that, that we're in a world where all of these things are are around her and she is in the midst of it and trying to uh you know hold on to herself you know sort of retain some control was there uh, any emphasis on uh, like her symbolism behind her uh, standing like this or was that just to kind of showcase her arms um i you know that you know i didn't that you'd have to ask uh james but i think you know i think maybe he was responding to this idea of like of, of her um sort of hugging herself trying mm -hmm. to again um assert a certain kind of independence retain control gotcha. uh, in the face of these things uh around her all right so let's go ahead we're gonna look at page one and i thought this was a really interesting way to start off the book hold on one second sorry sure. scrolling my scrolling's getting a little too dangerous for me so we start off with uh our uh, protagonist's mom answering the door uh yeah. and you know you could tell she's kind of you know she, something's going on she's in some sort of turmoil and uh it's not the police that are here which i thought was a really interesting way to start it off so what kind of inspired you to begin with this you know i think i liked the idea of knowing knowing where it's going to go and mm -hmm. how it's going to uh let's say get violent get dark get all of all of those things to start in a to start in the opposite of that what seems like a conversation somebody answering the door i also liked the idea of having it be you know six uh the same shot same angle over six um six panels uh and i thought that there was something about the formality of that and the sort of simplicity of the scene at first which would create a sort of growing unease over the course of it as she is trying to just be pleasant and just answer the door but as you said we realize that something is wrong and finally uh at the end of the the first page we see that there's blood yeah um and that there's something much worse and we have this uh this character the the sort of government excuse me this sort of agent uh pushing his way pushing his way in yeah, so uh, I thought she, it was yeah that growth. She Sorry. made a nine one one call uh, at the time. We're we're kind of left wondering what's exactly going on. We get a glimpse of someone upstairs getting sick in the toilet as well. I thought this was really awesome the way you built up this beginning scene and kind of leading up to uh, essentially like the climax. We uh, meet our protagonist. Do you want to go ahead and give us a little bit of a breakdown of her? You know, uh, uh, sure. Like I said, the Teresa is a young girl, probably about fifteen, uh, fifteen, sixteen. Um, lives with her family, lives with her parents in a suburban uh, area, somebody whose problems are, you know, normal, like most of us, you know. Uh, but like I said, wakes up one day and everything has has changed. Um, and like I said, you know, at this, at that age, I can, you know, that's, it's a little bit old. It's like on the older end of puberty, but like, mm -hmm. but I think any sort of, any sort of transformation, I think it always calls to mind um, puberty as, as a sort of metaphor, as a metaphor for puberty, you know, and I yeah. think that it certainly is part of it. But like I said, I, I really did try to write, um, try to write it a little bit more universally than that, you know, like I, um, to be just about change and about dealing with change and about uh, being how to put it, how to sort of assert your own ability to assert control over that change to an extent, like by your, the way you act, the way you react, even if the, uh, there are circumstances that you can't control. So here we have her body is beginning to literally betray her as it has, um, as it is physically changed and she starts yeah. to feel sick. So. And we'll zoom in on this a little bit too. Did you find any difficulty writing a female protagonist compared to, uh, the, the male counterparts that you did? I know you said you wrote, uh, Nightcrawler, you wrote a Spider-Man. I mean, was it hard transitioning to a, you know, younger female going through puberty? I don't think so. You know, again, I'll let uh, I'll let readers decide. Um, but I don't think so. And I think in the same way that um, th when talking about writing for children and stuff, I think um, in the end, you know, people are people are people. People like there are things that we share. 
uh, yeah, that, yeah. that people do share. And so I tried to emphasize those things. And I think, you know, another thing that comes up in acting as well is this idea of um, never judge a character, even, you know, in the script, never mm-hmm. play like they're stupid, never, you know, because it can't it's not going to be interesting like you know maybe in some sort of like comedy sketch or something like that but but for the most part you want to play any think of any character as being as smart as they possibly can be or as you could possibly make them and stuff like that and i think that just applies to anything that whoever you're writing whatever their situation is whatever their demographic is you always want to assume that they're the the smartest that you can possibly make them and give them as much integrity um so again like i said it it I'll I'll let readers decide, but I really I just you. wanted to write. Uh, I I did not find it difficult. So we we transition to the next page. We see that she's stuck in the bathroom hiding. You know she's going through these changes, not knowing what's going on, and these government agencies are starting to surround the door. Uh, you know up uh, you know up earlier we also seen that you know her mom you know saying she's still my daughter. You know she's kind of reluctant to like let them check her out. And things are not looking too good for uh, Teresa. I mean, things are starting to get to more of a like, climatic point for her in the in this story. Um, and it was pretty early on. I mean, what what was your reasoning for having like this like you know li- this happen like so early uh, in the issue? Like having her like start to transform and 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 having these government agents show up as early as they did. You, you know, I think uh, it's just one of those. You know, you're always a. I, I try to think of things that I've enjoyed and that I find interesting mm-hmm. and um, and use that as sort of um, a model. And you learn, you, I, I always want to get into the interesting stuff as quickly as I can. Yeah. You know, and like I said, it's there's a, a certain stuff, amount right? of, yeah, exactly. You can create <laughs> a certain amount of dread by having it be at home, but I wanted to get to the action quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that like small details, um, you learn about the character through small details in the action that they need to be taking. So there, there is no need, you know, to get to, if I'm misunderstanding your question, you know, some people like a long buildup before, before sort of the action starts where you sort of like, let's say a scene where you're watching the person go about, go about their day or something mm-hmm. like that. And presumably, you know, you're learning something about the character that's then going to change, right? Like presumably you're learning about uh, by the way the person goes about their day, you learn about who they are. Yeah. And yeah. presumably that will then become part of, of the action later on. And, you know, for a different kind of thing, perhaps for a movie, for a different kind of character study, that would be that would be one thing. But I think for comics in particular, you know, I love I love action and I love the grotesque. <laughs> the, like I wanted to get to the monsters quick. You know what I mean? Like that to me was um was important. So yeah, so I wanted to to have just enough of sort of home to show that there was something that she was losing that there was that this was that this was a big change for her but i also thought it was important to have it happen quickly Mm -hmm. uh just because that's you know uh both entertaining for me and for the reader but also i think jarring for her and i think is again another part of the um how difficult the transformation is and how difficult it is is and again, that's something, again, I don't know about your own experiences, but I think of very much a lot of, about childhood where things would happen very fast that you have no control over. Oh, yeah. And like you, you didn't realize. Like, go with the flow. You have to go with, you know, wherever your parents send you, where you're going to go, you know, like, and so that to me, I think maybe subconsciously, and I'm only thinking of this now, that I think that might be part of it too. It's like jumping in quick because every time you think, you think you got a little routine going, something changes. You Oh, life's like Hoda. Hoda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Page five, we see her jumping out of the window that, you know, you have the government agency uh, people going, you know, ziplining down the roof and she's just cannonballing out the window. Things are really hitting a climatic point right off the rip. She's making a break for it. Uh, They, you know, they're they're yelling sedate her, her mom's wondering what's going on. And then we see her start to kind of lose a little bit more control. I don't know if you want to look at page six or if you want to just leave it right here, though. That is a tough call because I love page six. Uh, um, yeah, let, let's go ahead. But I, but okay. I will say with this, you know, to me, this was a this is an initial scene that's almost like the uh, the problem in miniature, right? Like mm-hmm. here we have, you know, you you see her at first, and she's like, oh, this pitiable person who's throwing up in the toilet. She's sad. She's crying, but very quickly flips 
and not out of nowhere, but because she is provoked somewhat, you know, put into put into a corner. And uh, again, I think that that's a very real, very human thing about when yeah. you feel trapped and you feel threatened, and especially if you feel wounded. You know, like I said, you know, so much of it is sh this new normal. Waking up, feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm gross. What the hell are you know? I don't even have hands anymore. She accidentally cuts herself in the mm -hmm. mirror. Uh, like all of these things, this this adjustment. And if that were to happen to me, all I would want would be like a week, like of nobody talking to me, so I could like figure it out. Yeah, but then to have other bit. people. But 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 of course, like you said, life's like hold up, and these people are <laughs> on top of her from the get go. Uh, you know, so, so that to me was, again, uh, very important to show, uh, or not so much to show, like, that's it. Like, you know, there, there are, um, it becomes a provocation mm -hmm. and it becomes this desire to get away and to be, uh, to be left alone. And then we'll finish it off with page six. So right here, things are getting shocking for her. At first we find, uh, you can't go for the hide. So parts of her have hide uh, already built in you gotta go for the skin and they efficiently do they they shock her they go to get the collar and she's you know netted like an animal yeah uh and that was uh, a, you know i think i might have mentioned it but one of the things that i just thought about with this a lot was um how these children are treated like animals mm -hmm. like that there is something animal like in the way that like I said, you know, they, they ultimately are trained to become these soldiers. And the training to me is meant to mimic the way people treat, uh, people train pets. And I don't mean to create like a moral equivalency, but there is something about this dehumanization of thinking that you're no longer human. You can't, you can't think like a human. Mm -hmm. You can only think in these sort of small repetitive ways. And again, without spoiling anything, like it's true to a certain extent, like her, she is regressing and becoming more monstrous and so is less um you know her intellect is softening yeah. um but that to me you know and I, i'm so just so glad that you said it because from the get-go like i said there's something about treating treating people like animals that i think is um to me is scary mm -hmm. and i think is is sad and again that's nothing nothing against animals or pet owners or anything like that but but it's just that um that dehumanization and, and yeah, sort of yeah. thinking you're above we have uh, Ichthys over on YouTube stopping in to say what is up and that the art looks amazing. I love the art. Speaking of that, you know, how much of uh, influence did you have on this? Or did you kind of let your artist take the wheel on a lot of the design? You know, how did that look like? You know, it was a, it was a combination. I think certainly with the main characters, um, certainly with Teresa and some of the other members of her, um, of Behemoth, of, you know, that she ends up meeting with, with a few main characters, I had some definite ideas of of what they should look like something in, in the um but jk did you know sort of had free reign for a lot of the others um i did write full script uh mm -hmm. for a few reasons and so therefore a lot of the design and layout and, and stuff you know i i suggested i think as always and i think any good writer any good comic writer will tell you to listen to your artist yeah and you know we would talk through the um through the finished script and he would suggest sometimes like eh, maybe if i do it from a different angle or you know but the re part of the reason why i wanted to do full script was to make sure that um all the details that i wanted to include like could fit you know what mm -hmm. i mean so in some ways that was also meant to be like almost like a proof of concept like i know here's a layout that could work but if you could yeah. of course you know you as the artist if you get to get something better to to do something similar then then that would be great i think if we you know we're hoping if we have some uh if there's enough interest that we would do a volume two in which case i probably would want to you know uh work a little bit more collaboratively uh even mm -hmm. still because again he's a he's a fantastic artist and and um and as much as i love the book i think it only could have been improved by by my being a little you know and again this is just you know, this was our first collaboration and stuff like yeah. that um uh, but to have more time to sort of um, integrate the the scripting with with his sort of weighing in with oh wouldn't it be cool if we did it this way mm -hmm. you know um, so and, yeah or go ahead oh I can't remember I, I think I was just gonna so, sing James pra his praises more 
because I just think he's a great artist. <laughs> like I mentioned, you know, he mostly does uh, photorealistic stuff. So mm -hmm. it was exciting for him to do something a little bit more, a little bit less realistic. And, you know, because monsters aren't real, uh, <laughs> to, get, to be able to break out of that uh, realism a little bit to do this yeah. more line oriented art, which I think is, again, I think it's stunning. No, absolutely. So we are only taking a look at the first five to six pages, guys. If you want to take a look, you're going to have to buy issue one. Where can viewers and listeners find issue one? Like, where is it, is it available to purchase? In a matter of hours, it will be at your uh, local comic book shop. Um, you know, they're all over the all over the country. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, you yeah know, that is so I think awesome. LCS.com or whatever. You know, they have the the comic book finder. Um, but yeah, I think most most stores should should carry it um and i hope you enjoy it you know um i think you know scout and black caravan have been fantastic mm -hmm. to work with and have made this uh, a really easy process and uh have given us a lot of support to get the book out there so uh so i hope people will check it out and enjoy it and that's this is how exclusive of, of a look that is not even out in stores yet let's go that's right. let's go so let's go ahead we're going to be transitioning to our main cameras again go ahead and right. switch it over right over here we have ichthys saying monsters aren't real i have a blood-sucking unicorn tapping on my window as we speak uh well so things um, are getting colorful for you ichthys <laughs> yeah where do you live because yeah, we don't uh, have a lot of those yeah i did ohio we just have a whole bunch of corn so yeah <laughs> ichthys well, saying uh, the cover looks know. amazing as well too yeah yeah, we have also, uh, you know, there's a variant cover, which some stores will have, uh, which is a very moody, broody piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's and so this brings us to our next topic. You are also going to be working on issue number two, and you're taking pre-orders for that as well, right? Uh, I'm gonna be yeah. th this is the link. If anyone's interested, go ahead and check it out and get your pre-order in. So what's the pre-order looking like for you? Um, well, you know, pre-orders, it should, you know, it's through... Uh, do through your local comic book shop. Stop. Mm -hmm. Let me try that again. Through your local comic book shop. Maybe when you go in and get issue one, you can pre-order issue two um, uh, and just ask for it by name. You know, there's a, a company, Behemoth Comics, which is a different publisher, uh, but this is a comic called Behemoth from Scout and Black mm -hmm. Caravan. Um, but I don't remember off the top of my head what the uh, the preview codes are for issue two. But issue two is uh, should be in previews uh, should be in previews now. And if you ask for it at your at your shop, they should be able to pre-order it for you. So just uh, without spoiling too much, what can we expect from issue number two? Uh, you know, just a, a little taste of it. Um, you can first of all you can expect an amazing cover i think you know I think it's a, it is a very uh a very chilling kind of cover that uh that is kind of gross but i like um you know so i don't think i'm spoiling too much to say is you know as i said before she becomes she comes to this camp she's turning into a monster she meets other monsters and becomes part of this um this sort of government program to turn these monsters into soldiers. So what we get in issue two is what it's like to be in that situation, what what the training is like, mm -hmm. and how she interacts no longer with just the community as a whole, but she's got a, what they call a pack of um, sort of like her regiment uh, that they get to know each other a little bit better and you know that's got its own good and bad so that's Ooh. mostly what the second issue is focusing on is um them creating this kind of community but then there it doesn't necessarily work out um as you mentioned there's a sort of a, a major who runs project behemoth mm -hmm. who um he wants to have control over every aspect of it and like is very much treating everybody as i said sort of like an animal but um but that doesn't always go over well with the uh, with the uh, the kids themselves, and so we get um, some conflict there. Um, Sounds like the and hopefully, and I think it turns. Go ahead. And I hope it comes out in kind of like in unexpected ways. Like I think mm -hmm. issue two, I think you know we get some surprises pretty quickly. Sounds like the general's trying to create his own Sinister Six, if you will. That's oh, I hadn't thought of that, but absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, um, you, you told me Spider-Man, I, I had to throw it in there, so I was waiting. Right. I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you gave it this long before uh, before throwing that in. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> another thing that uh, somebody when um, when working on it, somebody was like, "Oh my gosh, like it's like a dark version of the X-Men." 
like if Professor X didn't love the mutants and like wanted to torture them, <laughs> like that's in some ways more like like it is like that he's um, much more controlling, mm -hmm. wants them for for his own. Wasn't um who's a what's his name? Striker? Is it Striker? I think in from uh, from uh, from the X. From X Men, he 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 yes. he does something like that, right? Doesn't where he tortures yes. them. Yeah, yeah. I have to, you know, there's there's nothing totally new under the sun. Uh, well, no, 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 no. And I was saying, I was I was just thinking. I was like, you know, I think there is something in X Men, but I didn't read a lot of X Men. I got that from the movie. So don't come Fair at me enough. with pitchforks, guys. Don't come at me. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there's a, there's a lot of comics out there. You can't read all of them. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Like in some ways, a, a closer thing, just going along that way, is like you know, there's the the freedom force and again you know this might be like an old reference but there was like the brotherhood of evil mutants became the when they fell under the aegis of the united states government became known as freedom force and yes it's it's i hadn't thought of that but absolutely that's that's exactly uh that's exactly what it was something much more like uh like striker controlling that dude i i love it i i love just how dark and sinister it's getting in issue number two i can't wait to check it out uh it blows my mind this i'm gonna go i'm going to my local comic book shop tomorrow i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna pick up issue number one uh well, I'm gonna, yeah yeah i cannot wait i cannot wait i appreciate the pdf but physicals you know nothing against pdfs there's nothing like getting the new comic book smell when you open it up i'll tell you man you know um i've been looking at this book for years and stuff like that but then when i got my comps just a couple days ago looking and, and like seeing the physical thing like it was it was a real amazing experience <laughs> like I, i've seen i've been published before i've seen other things but mm -hmm. something that you that i've created myself myself with collaborators yeah. and actually you know you'd mentioned a couple times the how much you liked the lettering in issue one and i want to shout out jesse post who is our letterer who's a fantastic letterer um and he really just made you know because so much of and as it goes on as our main characters sort of perceptions change you see that reflected in the lettering in the same way that there is in the letters you know that he she sends to yeah, her I, I, so that was your letterer's idea um i think it was something i had suggested something along those lines i, but I really liked it, executed it yeah yeah, but, yeah it was but a... the idea certainly was to yeah to to um to make the narration make all of those things part of the that that experience into god it was dark and twisted too yeah yeah. You guys are going to love issue one. Issue one is just, oh, chef kiss. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, well, I'll tell, I guarantee two, three, and four uh, will be just as good, are just as good. All Especially right. if you like it dark and twisted. Um, let's go. Let's go. So, Chris, this brings us to the end of our interview. Before we go, though, I always like asking one question in particular, because as much as this is a nice show to kind of break down who you are, Breakdown Behemoth and what's next also serves as a nice tool for anyone watching that might be new. So with you know someone who's like dipped their hand in so many different mediums and has you know started so many different projects, what advice would you give someone who just is having trouble just getting started, just getting that creative process going? Um, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, it's it can be very easy to be cynical about such things, but you you just shouldn't and the only advice there is is to trust yourself and to to keep at it like i uh you know you had said before about my my having it down to a science i've been working for a couple weeks on this uh short short screenplay idea that i have and i'm getting nowhere with it and i'm getting nowhere <laughs> with it sometimes there are times that you know a thing is wrong it's not that it's wrong it's that the process of writing involves thinking, involves feeling, involves mm -hmm. kind of figuring out what, what it is exactly you want to say. And I have an idea, but I haven't quite figured out a, a little bit more of the, the depth to it. Mm -hmm. And um, so the advice that I have is, is that you have to believe in yourself. And, and it, it, that's the, like I said, it's, it can easily, you can be cynical about that, or it sounds corny, but the fact is you are your only audience that matters of course if you want to make a living at it the other things become considerations. Yeah, yeah yeah but if you but the only way you're going to make a living at it or do it well is if you are kind of true to yourself and are writing mm -hmm. something that interests you that you believe in and and that can be scary and sometimes you'll write things that you you'll either learn things you don't like about yourself or something that you don't think is good after the fact 
but that's still part of the the process. And I, I believe that so, so strongly because <laughs> I've been writing different kinds of things for a long time and I, and I can be kind of slow. And sometimes I don't do things because, you know, life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. But, but I always come back to it and I don't give up. And I think, n- n- you know, nothing ever turns out well on the first draft. And it's by sticking with it that that you get something that you can be proud of and that can sort of stir your own soul. And I, I, I don't want to sound overly spiritual about it, but I, but I just, I believe these things so, so much uh, that like artistic expression, whatever your medium, whether it's writing, painting, anything else, I think it's such like um, such an amazing human impulse that is so uh, easily squashed <laughs> by a, by a difficult world. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Uh, I just think it, it's wonderful. And, but in the end, the only audience that you should worry about, the only critic you should have should be yourself. Like you should write a thing that you are proud of, that you think is true, that you think is right, that you think is good. And um, just doing it over and over and trying and hitting your head against the wall as unglamorous as that sounds is the only, is the only way because it's not easy. It's, it can seem easy, uh, but but it isn't, and uh, and it shouldn't be. Yeah, or, yeah. I don't know. It'd be great if it was, but like, but it Everyone gets easier, it then, right? Exactly. But it gets easier as you do it. Like the hard, like as even as you put it, the hard part is getting started, and the hard part is kind of starting to believe in yourself and and trusting that you have something to say. Um. So yeah. So. Th- I appreciate I that. I no, I, I I love that. I love someone who can like really cut a tray without sugarcoating it. I think that's a, a big part of this, right? Is letting people know what to truly expect. And yeah. I think that was a really awesome piece of advice. That was well, phenomenal. Thank you so much, Chris. Everyone who's watching Behemoth issue number one is going to be in stores tomorrow. You can pre-order it as well. Uh, the link is right there in the stream. I'm going to post it one more time. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Giving us, Cody, it was uh, such a, a pleasure. Work. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for breaking down uh, pages five through six uh, or one through six with us. Uh, and th- yeah, first time it's going to be printed tomorrow. So this is, you know, kind of a new look on, out there and in the, the visual world, I would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a like I said, a new kind of artwork uh, that James hasn't done before. And I think it I think it's the best looking book on the stands. Yeah, you know, it's a very cool. different kind of uh, kind of art style. Um, I don't think you're going to regret it. Whatever you might think of the story. The art, at least, is beautiful. Yeah, let's go, guys. Put it on your shelf. You heard it here first. I hope you all have an awesome Tuesday night. But most importantly, keep it geekly. Man, I'm getting those endings down way good, too. I said you are.